0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Chris Talks Music, I'm your host Chris Hallam and today I'll be speaking to Mike Peters from The Alarm, who are one of Wales' biggest ever musical exports, selling well over 6 million albums worldwide. They've got over 15 top 50 UK hit singles and they've shared the stage with the likes of U2, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Neil Young and many others. I'm going to open this podcast with the song Beautiful, taken from their 2018 album Equals. Give it a listen and then. Hope you enjoy the show.
1: Everything's breaking down, breaking down and being changed. Everything's drowning, going down beneath the waves, and I know that. It's
0: beautiful. So, hello, Mike. How are you?
1: Is it? I'm very good. Thank you. Very pleased to be here on the podcast with you, Chris. And that's, uh, yeah, great. Mike Peters from The Alarm on tour in the UK at the moment, celebrating 40 years of uh, alarm history.
0: Yeah, I was going to so... ask. It's, it has, but yeah, it's, is it? Is this the 40th anniversary? This is the 40th anniversary of British tour right now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's um, it's a few anniversaries in one because our 40th anniversary was originally last year, uh, but we were in a lockdown, so we, we had to move the dates into 2022. And, but it also coincides with the anniversary of our, our first ever, well, our first red poppy was uh, part of our single, in, our second single in 1982. And wow. the poppy has followed us around ever since. So it's a celebration of uh, all, all the beginnings of the band rolled into one, really.
0: Yeah, it is kind of like your very own remembrance, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, we're playing a set that's um, it's got everything in it. We 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 actually worked really hard on the set, and we took took advantage of the lockdown to learn some new skills, go back to basics, you know, really um, dive into our guitar playing and what songs we should be playing on the tour. Um, And we've come up with a set that's been received fantastically well so far, but we play over 35 songs a night. And there's a a sort of main section of the set where we play 22 songs in 50 minutes. And uh, it careers through the career of the band at lightning speed. And uh, it really uh, does uh, take everyone by surprise because there's songs in there people don't expect. Some that they they do expect, but not where they normally fall so it's um it's been a set that's uh, it's surprised all our fans and ourselves but i think we we've used the lockdown wisely to refresh everything and come out with a, with a new um way of playing that that's captured the imagination of our fans and, and reignited the interest of of a lot of older fans and and um, fans who you know we we're, we've only been part of their lives on the periphery they've sort of heard about the alarm I mean, oh, you know, they're the, the shadow of the Clash or they're, they're the U2 c- comparisons. And 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 I think they're coming to check us out and thinking, hang on, this band stands up for itself in its own right.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, obviously, myself, I'm of the era whereby we are not sure about something immediately, so we Google it. So yeah. <laughs> we Googled you, and then you do come up with things like the new Clash, And also the fact that I mean, you see the U two comparisons, and if you listen to the earlier material, you can kind of understand. But you were also an opening act for the band, weren't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. We were quite uh, good. Well, we're still good friends with the band now to this day. You know, we we, we forged a relationship with them that uh, allowed us to go to America in in the early stages of our career. We we we'd only got to the we were on our third single, and we could. you know sell sell out certain small venues around the country but you know we didn't have a, a huge following we, we'd play um you know on, on our tour and uh you know we'd sell out in london maybe or somewhere like that but other places were a bit more difficult and um and then you two were experiencing the first throes of their success in america with the war album and uh their tours being extended to Include the famous Red Rocks concert, the under a blood red sky gig, and uh, they said to their manager, "Paul, well, we'll do the tour, but we'd like to have um some friends on the road with us so we could enjoy ourselves." And, and that happened to be the Alarm. So we uh, we got off a plane in Los Angeles, drove up to San Francisco, and our first gig in America was in front of eight thousand fans who had no idea who we were. No pressure. So no pressure, but. In in a way, that that worked to our advantage because the journalists, the media, the radio people that were all at the show, they had no idea who we were either. So there was no hype. There was no expectation. um, And we were innocent to everything. So we didn't have time to even think about it. I think we got, we found out about it on a a sort of a Monday when we were playing in um, a scout hut in Cambridge. And then a few days later, we had to cancel some shows um, and we, we were on a plane and we next minute we're playing in San Francisco. And it, it was, um, and we went down amazingly at the first gig, you know, it, it was, I couldn't sort of see it now really clearly. We we played the marquee in London the night before and we flew there and we, we, we got there late to the gig because, um, well, we, we were in a vehicle that, that we didn't realise what, that american vans have like limiters on them so they can only go at the speed limit of 55 miles an hour so our calculation to get to la to uh, san francisco was way out so we got there late and bono was at the stage door you know saying, call yourselves the alarm you're not, you're not on time you know And him and the edge helped us carry our gear on stage it was that kind of friendship and then um we we started strumming our guitars and the strings all broke because they'd been on from the hot, sweaty gig in London the night before and been in an airplane. And so it was like Dave on guitar said, tell him a story, Mike, you know? So I had to say, oh, off. we come from Wales and people go, oh, yeah. they started taking an interest. I said, we've never played in America before. Then, like, way you know, this is our first gig in America. And the orders are getting, you know, I think it's San Francisco. It's the promised land. Whoa, the place went crazy. And then uh, we just uh, went had an amazing show and the next minute, our song "The Stand" was on the radio, and we our first success was in America. We we had our first television appearance in America, and like most bands, that's it's fairly unheard of to that our first ever appearance on TV was on American Bandstand in the USA.
0: Yeah, I mean that's um, I mean talk about being thrown right in at the deep end. But then also, you said like being in a scout hut one minute in Cambridgeshire to like then being out in San Francisco and everything going to pot straight away but you <laughs> managed to still fake it till you make it and yeah that's it people that's the good thing about that i mean that's the amazing thing about live gigs i guess especially in a situation like that where you've got 8000 people waiting for the show and you're like yeah things aren't great at the minute but like i'm from wales and blah 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 it's, <laughs> it's quite nice because it it shows the the, the <clears throat> human side to the the kind of the mystique that we see within
1: it, did. it, it, it honestly and, and at that time you know you bono and the edge were gracious at, to us and they 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 were doing things because you could do it then there was you know when we were going on the radio in america it wasn't like today where it's scheduled by a computer from outer space with no thought and attention to detail You'd go in, meet the DJ, and you'd literally pull the records off the rack that you wanted to play. And, and Bono and The Edge were going in on these radio stations and saying, hey, don't play uh, New Year's Day. We've had enough of that. Let's put this record on. They took their own copy of The Stand by The Alarm and played it and said, get down early to the show. And, and that enthusiasm had a, had a place and a part to play in, in our love of music that it's not kind of there the same way, you know, the radio is not as free form as it used to be it's it's uh, it's targeted uh, to um a demograph and all that kind of stuff now but rather than just people playing music because they love it and they can play a blues song one minute and then a soul song and then they can drop a rock song in it just doesn't happen like that anymore so we, we were we were part of something with you two where um you know we were at the frontier of where alternative music from the uk was really starting to make headway into america and you know i mean you know we lost taylor hawkins from the foo fighters this week didn't we and yeah he you know when you read his backstory he he was brought up on british bands because that's all his generation listened to there was no american alternative till kurt cobain came along and and uh, everyone in america listened to british bands like the alarm psychedelic furs um, you know U2, Simple Minds Echo and the Men, and, and all all those bands are still re- loved in America to this day you know and the alarm are in amongst all that as well. There's a
0: reverence that's, that they're held in and yourselves are held within as well but there's also like you said I think um, times have changed so much we've moved away from that kind of like maverick nature that used to be so pervasive and everything is so cultivated and so crafted and so yeah. um perfect whereas when somebody kind of I guess embodies a bit of like nihilistic nature or whatever um mm-hmm. they're seen as kind of crazy and wild. I mean
1: yeah, I well, think- you know we we grew up in India it was just after the sixties and seventies and, and a lot of um to make it as a band, you know, there was no social media, there was no YouTube, no Twitter, nothing like that. So you had to make it with not just your musical presence but you had to come up with sort of like almost they were called PR stunts weren't they to create some press you know to generate a story and and it was all innocent but but as all things they reach a peak where they become passe then and they people see through that and then it moves on to another era but for you know even when. you know, we saw things like in the in the eighties or the seventies really, when the clash weren't doing so well on the tickets. So they sent Joe Strummer off to disappear for a few months and create a story, you know, just to to keep it moving. And and when when we started having success in America, the, the British music press decided, oh well, why didn't we get them first? You know, and and so we had a bit of a backlash to all that. So we, we just ran up into that. Um a, a bit of a war with the, the media in in britain uh, probably because we were successful in america and and then you know it just uh it, it went on and on you know and it, even when when we got to america we we landed on the day the clash played their last ever concert with mick jones the guitarist oh really and it, yeah and it was like a we were hoping to get to the gig because they were playing with the stray cats and we knew them really well and we, and we were naively thought we'd get off the plane and the gig could be round the corner, you know, but it was like hundred miles away from the airport or something, you know. And um and so when we landed, we were we were all playing acoustic guitars and harmonica, and our acoustic guitars were amped up, so they were loud. So we got this. We got compared early on in America's. So sort of Bob Dylan meets the Clash was the the description of the band at the time. They
0: didn't like then,
1: that though at first, did they? Yeah. Well. Oh, the British, but that's the... They, the americans did what happened was that when and then in in 80 late 83 84 the clash re as the clash mark Two with joe strummer fronting it without Mick jones and when he got to america uh people were saying to him what what do you what about this band the alarm they're supposed to be the new clash you know and he'd say oh they're just on they're just the rapping on a chocolate bar called the clash you know and yeah
0: i saw that quote
1: yeah yeah and he 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 used to um but and then that 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 sort of turned the british press against us because they were always on joe strummer's side he could almost do no wrong could he and then um but years later well, well sadly about a couple of weeks before joe died he he had um a dinner in Notting Hill Gate with a a, a a guy that was an Alarm fan. They they just happened to have be on two tables of a restaurant, and they pushed them together so they could have a conversation. Uh, There's a, a guy called Graham Lampen who was at the time from Brighton, and and Joe Strummer asked him who his favourite band was, and Graham said, "Well, you're probably not going to like this, Joe, but it's it's The Alarm." And Strummer was like, "Oh," uh, he goes, "Well," he goes, looked around, he said, "I've got." I've got a bit of a confession to make. I used to dish it out to that band and that singer Mike Peters. And then because he was occupying my territory in 1984. And then when I when I got on the tour bus, I'd I'd hear some music come on the radio and I'd say to Cosmo, Who's this? This is great. This and Cosmo say, That's the alarm, Joe. You're not supposed to like them. <laughs> so you know it was nice. yeah, it was a, it was a good but We had a bit of a funny enough in Sheffield. We, uh, around that same time, one of what we got kind of caught a little bit. We were on the same music agency as the Clash, called Wasted Talent, and um, we were playing in Glasgow. We had a show in Glasgow and Sheffield at the Limit Club. We were coming through there to play. It was on a warm up tour for for some dates, festivals we were going to do in Europe, and we got a call and they said. was our agent said, do you mind if a band opens for you tonight that, that and we'd like to put them on last minute, we be sure. And it, it turned out it was Mick Jones and it was the first, the Glasgow and Sheffield gigs were the first one and two ever big audio dynamite gigs. And they, they might even have only been called the Mick Jones band at the time, but I'm not sure if they had settled on a name, but that, that's where they played. And I think uh, there was a little bit of, um, it created a little bit of uh, tension in the camp that we were supporting Mick and not Joe and all this, so we got caught up in the in the politics. <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, that, that's the thing. I think they, they always try and create that little um, back and forth between bands, don't they, anyway? I mean, they do. And then it's always yeah, you know. a little random comment is then made out. Innocuous comments are made out to seem like they're a barbed attack. <sighs>
1: got that's at the time when you know we the the enemy and sounds and melody they were our music bibles at the time we didn't have any there was no alternative to it so you'd wait read the papers and find out what was going on but now that's all dissipated isn't it you know it's um you know the the the, the power of the, the the national music press is not as powerful as it used to be
0: no they used to i mean When I was at university, I used to religiously buy the NME magazine every week. I had a stack of them on the end of my bed. And um, (laughs) I used to just, it used to be amazing just to kind of just peel through, not just NME, I used to pick up all sorts, like Source magazine as well, which was a hip-hop one. And I used to pick my way through those magazines and then just find random people that I hadn't heard of and make it my mission to go out and try and find their music. (laughs) <laughs> and he used to right. unearth so many different things in that way. I was speaking yeah. to, um, weirdly, we, you mentioned um, like the likes of uh, the, the bands that were out there in the States and stuff. I spoke to Mickey Bradley from The Undertones.
1: Oh, yeah, right.
0: Mostly um, Teenage Kicks. And he was telling me about growing up in in Derry. And yeah. the fact that like um, they were there at the time, and obviously you had The Clash, and they would have loved to have killed... Love to have come from Derry, wouldn't they? Because they were writing yeah. about like Sten Guns and Knightsbridge and stuff like yeah. that and the White Riot. And he was um, he was talking about how the fact that they were there, obviously, growing up and they had the troubles and everything as a backdrop around them, but it didn't really define what their output was. Their songs were yeah. kind of songs about relationships and yeah, um, teenage angst and all of that sort of yeah. stuff. But he was saying how they, they couldn't... It was really difficult for them to discover music with what was going on and stuff like that. And they'd occasionally get like older issues of stuff like the NME magazine and read the newspapers. And when they went out and performed because they didn't, no one knew who they were or what they were about. They didn't have that pressure or that all sure, around yeah. them. And it was, I think it's quite nice. Whereas now you release a song and it goes viral on TikTok or it goes viral on YouTube or Instagram or whatever. And You've only released one song, but then like people have these natural expectations of you
1: but yeah. as an artist. You're just trying to find yourself. Yeah, you don't have time to grow, almost, you know. And, and, and I think we see a lot of it when we go to some of the music festivals, and you see bands thrown up on these massive stages because they've got one song, yeah. and they don't quite know how to uh, to to perform at that sort of level to that amount of people at that at that point in their career, you know. And it yeah. takes time to, to build up to that, to have that craft, doesn't it? You know, because you do need to have a long career. You have to develop a certain amount of craftsmanship and 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 experience to know how to deal with things when. You know the monitors aren't sounding good, or or you've just played your new song to an audience and it's got not gone down as well as you'd hoped. So you've got to recover the situation and maybe change the set list because you what you've had in mind is not the way the audience want to go. And there are only things you gain through experience and like doing what like Mickey was saying to you, playing loads of gigs and getting experience under your belt and learning how to understand your music and which music that you've written comes connects because not everything you write is going to connect you know it's it just doesn't so you know that's what I think is um, I feel blessed to have come from a a generation where we were given a chance at least you know we might have been written off in certain circles or 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 play some certain mountains to climb in front of us but we climbed them we took on the challenges we're still here you know and we're still making music and it's still on the, on the front line. So that's couldn't, can't ask more than that.
0: No, you can't not at all. I mean, how do you find it now? Like the whole, like say you, you go out and you perform 35 songs in an evening and you do 22 of them in 50 minutes, which is just insanity. Um, that's like, <laughs> it's, like a mix, it's like a
1: live mixtape, but
0: it's, yeah, it's like a, a kind of a crazy oral time lapse, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it is. And then, um, but the thing is, like, do you still do? You, do you have that like strict um, idea of what your set list is going to be, or do you do you still change things on the fly as well? Yeah,
1: do change things. Yeah, uh, you know, because I think that's important, especially in the social media age where everyone wants to post the set list straight away, so there's no surprises when you get to the next show. Um, so yeah, we uh, there's certain elements of the show where I I can change things up and drop things in. And uh, which we have been doing, and surprising the fans with some songs they never thought they'd ever hear again. But, uh, and again, having the ability to play 35 songs in, you know, in in an hour and 50 minute set, it it allows us to play some of the songs that are forming part of where we're still, where we're aiming for as a band. And also allows us plenty of space to acknowledge where the bands come from and and all the various eras that have, um, you know, built up our our music background and the, and the soundtrack that that people have who followed us have, have grown up with
0: yeah absolutely it's um you've had you've had quite the journey i mean 1991 yeah. you first got together and then you broke you kind of was it a hiatus or did you break up in like 1991
1: i left really i felt felt like um Dave, who was on the tour with us, playing opening for us, he's like our special guest. He he was in the original lineup of the band, and and we we just yeah we were just miles apart at that time, and 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 uh, Dave wanted to become take on much more of the singing role, and um, which he did on the last album. He he sang kind of a, th- a third of the last record, and 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 it and it became the point we got. The compromise was. Well, you can you write X amount of songs, and then I write X amount of songs instead of it being let's just make an album with the best music we've possibly got. So I just thought I you can't ration out creativity; it has to be, you know. The, I I would I don't I said always said look if you write the best songs, Dave, yeah. you can be the you can be the lead singer. I don't, I'm I'm quite happy to back up someone who's written ten of the greatest songs I've ever heard, but I can't stand by and not i not just say well what we've got to put the album on just because it's we're on a bound to it it's got to have merit you know the the whole point of the band was to make great music strive for great music and and if your songs weren't getting on the album it, it's for a reason you know so so that we have this uh created a massive tension in the band and and I just thought well Dave he's not gonna leave to pursue a solo career so I'll have to maybe I'll just let him have the you take over the reins for a while and see it. You know, then you can call all the shots and see how, see where it goes. You know, and and that was it. And and it didn't, you know, there was no um, animosity or anything like that. I just walked away. I just had it. I just, I'd always said in those early interviews we ever did, when people say, "How long do you think you'll keep going?" And it was as long as we are enjoying it. And all of a sudden, it wasn't enjoyable anymore. So I thought, true to my word, I'm going. And then, and then after ten years. we we started um, the Eddie, my songwriting partner and the alarm bass player. He he wanted to put the band together, so we started putting the group together to play some date, dates with Big Country. And Dave didn't want to join. Nigel didn't want to join, so it was left to me and Eddie. And we played with Big Country. And then Eddie did about eight shows and decided he'd had enough. He didn't like he'd been off the road for so long. He couldn't handle the tour buses and no sleep and all that. And, and so, um, I became the last man standing really and, and kept it going and, and, and of, carried on where it left off really.
0: Yeah. How did, how did people find that then when, um, obviously the kind of, I guess the original, a lot of the original lineup left. Yeah. And then you've kind of got the band back together. Obviously Eddie's done, was it eight, eight shows with you? And he was like, yeah, stepping back Dave wanted yeah. to do his solo thing. Um, how did people take to the, the new, the new
1: alarm? It was, it's difficult because, you know, like, like um, in in music, people really value original lineups as being like the Holy grail of where the music has come from. You know, I, I, I'm a little bit different to that in, in the sense that my, my entry point into music really was, was, but I wanted to become a songwriter. That was always my ambition. Uh, I went, the first band I ever went to buy a record by was, was Slade. And I in fact I've got a record here. i me show you now. So, uh, where is it? Slade album's gone. down here. There you go. Yeah. I went to buy this. as my first ever album, Slade Alive.
0: Oh wow! Is that the original one then?
1: Yeah, that that's the the album. I had it, uh, years later, I got it signed by Noddy Holder.
0: Yeah, but, but that's how old is that then?
1: well oh, that's from um, nineteen, probably seventy two. I think. Wow. Yeah, and then, and then so, but when I went to buy it, I don't know if you can see there. Yes, it I says hear me calling as track one and in the in the brackets after it says alvin lee and i was thinking who's he and i think oh and then the second track says uh in like a shot from mike and it it says in brackets Slade, and i thought well that's what i want but i don't want the other guy so (laughs) and then the, the third one says john sebastian darling be home soon in brackets, John Sebastian. And the fourth one is know who you are in brackets Slade. I thought it's only got two tr- Slade tracks on side one. I I didn't realize that that meant songwriters, not the band, you know, I thought, yeah. so I put it down and I bought a lad insane by David Bowie instead because I thought I, it just had the song titles on the back and the, I thought, well, it's got Driving Saturday. I like that one, I'll get that instead. And When I took that album home, I started playing it, and then it's got a cut, co- it's, it's got Let's Spend the Night Together on it. So, when I was when that came on, I read it and I saw the brackets and the inside sleeve, and it said, Let's Spend the Night at Jagger Richard. I thought, Well, that, that's the Rolling Stones, so it but it's still Bowie singing it. So, I, at that was at that point in my naivety that I worked out that. The in brackets means the songwriter, not the artist who's performing the song. So, I wanted to be the guy in the brackets from that moment on for the rest of my life. You know, so that that was my drive and ambition was to be the songwriter. So, to me, a band is about the songs. You know, you can yeah. change the drummer and the bass player, but it uh, but if the songs have still got the integrity, then that's you know, that's like why you support your football team. The lineup can change, but it's still the football team. You know that—that's the sort of culture I came from. I got into music by, you know, I'm a Man United fan, so I used to stand on the Stratford End and hear the mu. I heard Slade on the Tannoy and I saw guys with pat splash patches on their denims with Slade. I thought, "What's that?" You know, and and then I heard "Cause I Love You," and I thought, "Wow, that's amazing!" And all the fans were stamping along to it. But that that football mentality ran through into my love of bands. I I, I wasn't too bothered if, you know, um, Brian Jones wasn't playing in the Stones and, and Mick Taylor come on to guitar to do Sticky Fingers. It's still a great album, so yeah. I I didn't have that. I don't have a problem with band lineups changing, but some fans do. And yeah, so- they
0: do. It's the um, it is the kind of the whole. Like you said, it's the pursuit of the originality mentality, really. Amusing fact, I went to Brian McClare's testimonial at Old Trafford years ago when we played Celtic. Yeah. Um, And Paolo Di Canio played for them at the time. He scored a a right belter past Schmeichel. But um, I remember... Actually, queuing up to get in the ground, and I remember seeing someone wearing a denim jacket with a slade patch on the shoulders. (laughs) Yeah, just when you said that then, and that was that, that was in the um, that well, that was in the gosh, that was in the 90s, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that well, yeah, that was, yeah, I mean, late
0: 90s, yeah,
1: you still see it on some of the old school fans, you know, the ones who wear the white coats and got 8,000 badges on, you still, oh, they do, yeah a bit of Slade from the old days or something on there, you know. But, uh... They
0: used to be like the badge of honour though, didn't they? When you'd go out and you'd be wearing your denim jacket and it was adorned with a plethora of different patches from the bands oh, that you've seen yeah, or right. places that you've been. It's, <laughs> so it's not the same nowadays, is it? You'd have to pay like, I don't know, 500 quid for a vintage jacket with them on. It. <laughs> so it's... Yeah, everything's, everything's um, consumerism and merchandise now. Is, so. yeah obviously you got, you kind of rethought it was like 1999. That was, uh, and then... yeah, I think,
1: I think what happened was pe- people thought I'd taken over the band. They didn't realize that in the background there'd been all the discussions about creating the, the original band anyway, you know, and, 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 you know, and uh, cause I, well, I, I did my first solo album and breathe, breathe it was called and just on the night before it came out, the drummer Nigel phoned me from America and said, Mike, I've got all these demos from Dave and Eddie about doing the alarm and there's not one song on it that sounds like the alarm. So will you come back and save the day, you know? And it was all like, well, as long as you recognise that, that's what I can bring to the band through the songwriting I can give you. And and that I bring as an individual that the identity of the band is in that. And and I'd always believe that's where our identity lay. And and that's where a lot of tensions creep in because... Individual think well no it's because we've got a great guitar sound or i'm playing drums it's brilliant you know that's all a big part of it yeah but ultimately when you when you take it all everything else away and you walk down into the subway and you've got to play your music it's the chords and the, and the lyrics that that carry on you know that's what lives on you know in a way okay. the whole so, system, um
0: some of its parts
1: yeah, so you know, so I, I, in, in, by default, I ended up being the last man standing of the alarm. But then you, you, people don't see it that way, do they? People think, oh, well, he took over, or he's, you know, this, that, and the other. But I always believed that the integrity of the band would, would, would be able to stand up and survive, all that which it has. You know, the, gra- slowly, slowly, fans started coming back to us. You know, um, and we, and when it, when the alarm regrouped again under my leadership in 2000 um properly uh we we were so underground it was you know we went that nirvana had come on and exploded everywhere and um, american alternative became american alternative through pearl jam and other bands like that and uh you know we, we were cast aside and um you know there was no way you know, we we had to create a fake band to get our way back in. You know, we created a, we, we we did a, we embarked on a, I sort of thought, well, if we're going to re-establish the alarm, it has to have a, a new record. And I, I ended up writing an album of 54 songs and we put them all out, 10 songs a month for five months. And it was called In the Poppy Fields and it yielded a song called 45 RPM. And, and we, when we recorded it, we thought, that sounds so. It sounds like Green Day. It's really on the, yes, you know, it's, it's in the moment." And so, uh, and, and somebody probably said, uh, you know, jokingly, off that was by a young band. It'd be a massive hit." You know, so we thought, "Let's let's put it to the test." So we, we took the record to um, at the time there was a guy called Dylan White, and he was the biggest plugger in Britain. We sort of knew him from the past. And he was doing Oasis and Primal Scream and Blur and all, all that kind of stuff. And we went to see him and we said, Look, would you be interested in a new promoting a new record by the alarm? And he said, "Ah, oh, look, guys, everyone's got loads of respect for you and they like what you do, but you you wouldn't get on the radio anymore. You're just not part of the demograph anymore. You know, that was the saying. And so we carried on chatting because we were mates, you know. And we said, Thanks for the honesty you know he said I don't want to take your money off you waste your time so anyway he said what's going on in North Wales so I said oh there's an amazing new band called the Poppy Fields. and uh, <laughs> they're only 18 and they've got an amazing folly he goes oh what the, what? I said I've got a tape of their record here stick it on he says so we blasted it out in the room and he, he finishes and he goes Mike I'll get that band on the radio like that and that's it that's our record that you didn't want to hear an hour ago, you know. Oh. So he said to me, okay, well, look, you've had me there. He says, give me a, give me a, a week or so and let me play it to a few people just like you've done. I, I won't say who it is and see what they say. Okay, great. A week goes by and then he phones me up, D- Dylan White, and he says, Mike, I've just, I've got to play. Everyone's gone wild over the record. you want to put it, our record of the week. Uh, mtv want it on rotation they want you on 24 uh for uh t- 42 minute what was it called for uh for 24 minutes or so i can't remember what the show was you know and it was their new music show and steve lemack wants to make it record of the week on his show and all that sort of stuff and i was like wow So what did they say when you told them it was the alarm and he goes well well they went so mad for it. I didn't. I thought I didn't want to break the moment. Tell them it was the alarm. So they still think it's the poppy fields. <laughs> so you're gonna to have to release it like that. I mean, like, oh. Right. So we put it back and we could change the cover, and then it became. It went into the top twenty in Britain straight away, and then we 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 um we revealed through top of the pops that the poppy fields was the alarm in disguise, and then it blew up into this gigantic global story. Um, and went literally around the world. We ended up on CBS News with Dan Rather, and he, he was like, "The war in Iraq." Uh, da, 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 da. And back in Britain, this band from the eighties have smashed the charts apart with their this uh, subterfuge, and it became a huge story. And uh, you went and viral. I think, again, It was massive. Yeah, I think we got a backlash in in Britain from wow. you know people like who said they loved the record. All of a sudden instantly stopped playing it when they found it was the alarm you know it was just, that's the sad part you think they would have said okay you've had us lads but it's still a great record you know yeah but it didn't so anyway but but it it really uh it it sort of um it got us past that point where of people not thinking oh the alarm who is it who's not who isn't it you know it's like wow it's a band with a hit record
0: Yeah, it got you over the crest, didn't it? And it showed people Mm -hmm. that, like, um, despite the time and people always seem to like to put people in certain boxes or certain eras. And you just proved with that release that not only could you be taken as a wholly new band entirely, but you also showed how you, I guess, modernized or even adapted your sound uh, in a different way, which they did not expect
1: and it showed that you were more than a one-trick pony really didn't it in, in some ways yeah you know and and, and that, that song is uh you know it's, it's a big part of our set now and it's uh, you know it's uh you know i mean we we last just before the pandemic we went to uh, i went to see the killers in cardiff at cardiff castle oh yeah and they were like when they found out i was going um uh, um Brandon Flowers was like, get him backstage, you know, get him back. And the management came and said, Brandon wants to meet you backstage and all that. I was okay, great. And then in the middle of the set, they were playing a song. I was thinking, what's the, it was Brandon and the guitar. thing. he's singing Rain in the Summertime by the Alarm. <laughs> and then we went backstage and him and the drummer, all they wanted to do was talk about 45 RPM, the poppy fields and, and I said, "How did you get into the alarm? You know, you're much younger than me." And he goes, "Oh, I heard about uh, the, the 45 rpm and the vinyl film, and I and I started uh, listening to music on Spotify." And and he goes, "Here's I've got your new album already. It was a Friday. Billy got the Sigma album that day, and he made me sign his album for him and everything like that." So you know, it was a um, it was incredible how that story resonated with a uh, with artists all across the, the the spectrum really yeah you know, i met springsteen and he was talking about that story and oh, the boss. Know, I think, yeah. yeah i think most artists uh when when they're you know getting a they're having a standoff with their critics or their fans or people are understanding their new music they often think oh if i put it by a new name you you you, you wouldn't say this you know uh, you it, it's uh i think all artists Have that moment where they go, Well, what if I change the name of the band? Would you like it if it wasn't called Bruce Springsteen? You know, it's just, yeah, it's like a
0: reinvention of sorts, isn't it? But it, I think it was, um, I think it was quite nice though, because, like, obviously, it's resonated with people, especially in the industry as well, in a certain way. but it's also a call back to that old maverick nature that we discussed earlier on, whereby yeah. people basically just—they were just like, "Well, if they can't take it as that, we'll just do it like this, or we'll do it our way." And you've managed well, to.
1: Get... You, we, we, our our 40th anniversary album came out last year. It's called "History Repeating." Yeah, I
0: saw that. Uh, and it, it
1: the the name change thing it, it when we when we started in. And we first played in London in in 1982. Before before we went to America and everything, um, we we'd been in another band in the 70s called. We were called the Toilets first, then we were called Seventeen. Yes, uh, and, and I knew we, you were we, called the Toilets, but I didn't know you were called Seventeen though. Yeah, the Toilets. We got to play with the Clash and the Buzzcocks, but we were we were good, but we we didn't have any. We didn't have a Sven Gali to kind of help us direct the energy of what the band was you know yeah no Bernie Rhodes or Malcolm McLaren or that one of those figures in the background you know yeah or like an Alan McGee for the um, Oasis absolutely and you, you still have to have them you know they're a big part of what makes bands someone who's slightly on the outside who can see watch you on stage and help you you know
0: you know, help the, you cultivate know, I mean, the, you really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean it was Bernie Rhodes who said to the clash, stop singing I'm so bored with you. Make it political if you want to stand out. Sing I'm so bored with the USA instead, you know.
0: Yeah. And then look look I, how I, I, that like I mean, the thing is it's like you listen to a lot of the music from The Clash Now and it's it's quite scary really how much a lot of those lyrics really resonate with what's going on now. In a, yeah, in a variety of ways. I mean, you, you can go back and listen to a lot of, especially from the the genre that yourselves were into and the the things that you were seeing. I mean, I was listening to a History of Repeating this morning, actually. It's only right, 44 yeah. songs. I mean, it's a bit disappointing. <laughs> I'd preferred 52, actually, to be honest with you, Mike. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, it still runs at 2 hours and 38 minutes. So, it's um, yeah, it's like you listen to this stuff then, but you can also hear the evolution in your sound. Um, or yeah, and yeah. how things change but then also you listen to some of the earliest stuff well as well and I'm like well that's that's still that's still very
1: I can empathize with that I hear yeah, that. Cool. I... that's what we're enjoying playing it you know now on this tour you know some some of the songs we're playing unsafe building and we're playing for freedom and uh, from our earliest days and they still stack up you know, when we, we played I played what kind of hell are we living in only time will tell the other day and it was like that was from 1982 and it's like wow you know it's still it ha- it's right on the on point uh, uh, lyrically today and, uh, and uh, you know the history repeating thing is was because even in 82 we, we because of our history as a band when we, we that's why we knew the stray cats so well we we did we got some dates them when we called 17 and um they, we learned a lot from them. And um, and we played the Marquee Club in London with the Stray Cats, and the guy who booked the Marquee thought we were rubbish and just yes. entertainers. So when we um, re-emerged about a year later, called the Alarm, he was i like, I'm not buying that. That still was saying, "Bam, I didn't like. They can't get any better. How can they get better in a year? No way." So he wouldn't book us as the. Really? Alarm, but yeah, and uh, and we we were on. We were we had a relationship working with our single we with miles copeland's record label uh it's called illegal records and um gene october from chelsea the the punk band he's the help out in the label and uh he said i'll I'll get you the gig at the marquee because i'm playing there next week you know with chelsea you can be our support band but you have to change your name you can't be the alarm so we call ourselves the black sheep (laughs) and and we (laughs) And we got the gig and we, we were playing in the marquee and, and Nigel, the manager of the marquee, was sat with our manager, Ian, and said, oh, this band are great. They'll do really well. And Ian had to say, Nigel, that's 17, the band that you supposedly don't like and won't book. So, you know, that, that sort of, it's cyclic, all those things, you know, changing our names, doing this and that and the other. It's, what, it's what, what's uh, enabled us to overcome some of the, Misconceptions, preconceptions, whatever you want to call them, and allow us to stay alive beyond our, you know, beyond one era of the band's story.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's certainly been quite the journey, hasn't it? I mean,
1: I know that after you'd, um... I think, I think as well, we're lucky that that in a way, when two thousand happened and it was just me left yeah. behind, I think because that then we. We weren't a democracy in the same way. Uh, 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 so I could maybe call the shots a little bit more. You know, I, of course, I listen to everybody around me when they say that's a mad idea, Mike, but sometimes you get an idea and think we've got to push this through and I, I have to take the lead here and make this happen. And and then the outcome is not what anyone and no one expected and there it is and you have to take risks. And I think if, sometimes when you become a band, and you stick together for a length of time, you you start becoming, uh, you start saying no to a lot of things because you can't reach a consensus within the format that where everybody has to agree. Yeah, and then so think you stop doing things, you, you know, you stop taking risks. You stop. The guitar sound doesn't change. the The drum beats don't change. The, the lyrics don't change because you think well, I've got to keep everyone happy here rather than break the... Sometimes you have to break the mould to survive, don't you? You do,
0: because otherwise it just becomes routine. And when it becomes routine, then it inevitably becomes boring. And I think change is necessary. Um, Definitely. Evolution is necessary. But also it's it's about, like, trying that's what the whole journey is as a band i would assume as, a, as an artist as a creative is to continually keep on pushing the envelope because if you don't
1: yeah. then... I, think, I think a lot of bands get trapped in in a sort of cycle of a certain amount of success where they used to yeah. tour in a, in a tour bus someone books the hotel, someone books the rehearsal room you just have to turn up and it becomes safe create soft underbelly yeah and mm. and sometimes the best gigs we ever did in the latter stages of the '80s, for the the little secret gigs we put on somewhere, you know, a radio station gig where it was in a club, and it was like, wow, this is a mate. We're right up against it here, and uh, and it, it was um, again. It's it, it was it made you realise that you know the, the band has to survive in all forms. It has to be relevant on a, on a small stage as, as well as a big stage, and. And um, you know. Anyway, it was I'll probably digressing here, but No, uh, no, it's it's
0: it's, no, it's rough. Rough. I think key. Key. go on, sorry. Yeah, keep key.
1: challenging is, yourself and everyone within the band, haven't you? Rather than when it's all compromise, yeah, it, it 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 becomes soft and mushy, doesn't it? You know, whereas it has to be challenging for everybody.
0: It does. And and the thing is, it's like with the kind of music that you do and with the, especially the music scenes that you grew up in and around as well, a lot of that was about sharing and regurgitating conflict in a variety of ways. yeah. However you want to look at it on whatever level. And you really do need to keep on pushing and prodding and testing each other because it's all about singing from what's within and create and creating songs that are impactful and meaning and have a depth and if you kind of stay within the confines of safety or r- routine it, it loses the soul and it loses it its really semblance of meaning and without that what do you have that's it well you end up with nothing at the end of it <laughs> don't do you don't dear so obviously we, We'll have to bring it to a close shortly. But I mean, Absolutely. you're going to be at Sheffield the 8th of April. Yeah. Six days before my birthday, Mike. No pressure. So oh. I expect a present. And um, <laughs> But um, you'll be at the Foundry in Sheffield. It's a nice, nice venue, that. I've, I've been there recently <laughs> for a few gigs. Um, and um, there are still tickets available for that show at the moment. And yeah. after that, you go on to Oxford the day afterwards. Um, Brighton, Cambridge, uh, Manchester, and then you finish off in Northampton, don't you? So...
1: Yeah, and and then Bristol, uh, yeah, on the seventeenth as well.
0: You got... Oh, was that we...
1: a, was that a moved date? Yeah, because we, we we were on our way to the Bristol show and we got caught up in a in a incident on the motorway on the M four. We were ah. sat on the motorway for eight hours and oh, we geez. could get to the gig.
0: Yeah, because so that was supposed to be the eighteenth of May, eighteenth of March. Yeah. Sorry, wasn't it? That's
1: it. Yeah, it was.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Well. I'm gonna wish you the best of luck for the rest of the tour. That's good. Thank um, you. It's um, it's been wonderful talking to you. I've had a, a really nice fantastic. chat. Some great stories as well. I think it would be good to catch up again another time. So, what's happening next after this? Then, so obviously we release. You released um, "History Repeating," which is the it's your compilation of 44 songs, which is it's it's 40 years of music. Yeah. And then we've got this tour, and get that out of the way. You'll probably need a bit of a rest after that. What would you like to um, do next?
1: No, we we go to America after that in the summer for some dates. Playing two nights in New York, and then and we're releasing an album called Amiga on the seventeenth of June.
0: Okay, and, and that's
1: that's really when when lockdown happened. Um, uh, we we were running a show, an online show called The Big Night In from our living room, and then we were uh, and then we 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 turned our Chapel Studios got five apartments, so we started letting the fans stay in the studio apartments. And we, we were doing little staycation gigs for 22 people a weekend. That's and broadcasted nice. some of that. And it kept us sort of sharp and focused, kept, allowed us to try lots of things out. And uh, and then on, on January the 6th, when the Capitol building was occupied, to me that, that was just, I was on, on a phone call with our board member from our charity who worked in the Capitol building and he said, switch on the news. And I thought, oh, this is how how far, how more, what more is going to happen to us? We're in lockdown. Now people are storming the Capitol building in America. And I thought, let's, we've got to write a record now. I didn't want to make a record in lockdown. I thought, let's do it. And and if we're going to do it, it has to come out in lockdown. And I took the the thing from the John Lennon. John Lennon's song in "Instant Karma," where he said uh, he he wrote it for breakfast, recorded it for lunch, and released it for dinner. And I thought, let's try and make a record in fifty days. Write it and record it, and we did. Yeah, and we put it out on the twenty third of February, and it it it's got it had got amazing reviews everywhere. And then we pulled it the next day almost because it was. It, I thought we, we had hand-cut LPs, we had CDs that we'd sent out to fans that had no music on. So we, we digitally sent them the tracks when we finished them and they could burn their own CDs and write the song titles in. And it was a really great hands-on event. But then the record disappeared because we pulled it offline and everything. So we're, we're, we're putting that out as a proper release on June 17th because every day we get asked some record store phones, our distributors saying, we want this There's people who want this alarm album where is it you know so we haven't got any <laughs> what's the so name of
0: the album again
1: it's called omega omega
0: yeah
1: but we released it as war with a with a reverse r yes uh, with, yeah. uh, which was the, the title of the last album we made in the 80s backwards raw war and uh and we referenced a few things on that and that was part of the the initial idea in a way but it ran away with itself and You know, CNN picked that we were putting the footage out, we were recording it live every day, and we were putting the footage out on the internet every night, hours and hours, and all the Zoom production calls because we were all in isolation. And we all had a caravan for my studio, and our producer had a studio, our drummer had a drum booth, and guitarist was doing all his tracks in his bedroom studio. And uh, and we but it and lot, it was it, it meant it forced us to engage with the way modern music is made through computers and share file sharing, all that. Yeah. It was incredible. And uh, I think we made a fantastic record and it says a lot about the lockdown, came out in the lockdown, but there's still a lot of interest in it. So that's next. And then we move on to 2023 and uh, lots more
0: to look forward to. I do. I do. I do look forward to it. I'd love to have a chat with you um, later on down the line after Omega then. And then we yeah, great, really, fantastic. We discuss it. We might even do something fun. I don't know, like a track by track discussion or something. Yeah, great. Yeah, we'll have yeah a, that'd we'll be have nice. a Yeah, we'll have a play with it and we'll see closer Definitely. to the time. But I will, um, I will let you go. Um, oh, I thanks, you. Brilliant. I suppose uh, we need to go and do something else. But uh, yes, the last time really, eighth um, of uh, April. Take the
1: dog for a walk on the mountain now.
0: Yes, yeah, that'll be great. Oh, we'll actually. take
1: the lads to rugby practice.
0: <laughs> Is that what you've got to do afterwards? Oh, yeah.
1: Full on dad mode tonight. Oh, <laughs> well, do you know
0: what? Someone has to do it. Rather you than me. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I'd like to thank Mike Peters for spending so much time talking to us today. What a great guy. Fans and newcomers will be able to see and hear the full power of the alarm as they celebrate 40 years since they got together. Well, technically, it's 41 due to the pandemic knocking things back by a year. They will be playing at the Sheffield Foundry on Friday the 8th of April and tickets are still available. Also, they have a new album coming out which will be released on June the 17th, 2022. Mike did mention it a few times throughout the course of the podcast, Omega. And yeah, check it out. But before we go, I'm going to leave you with the rather excellent song 45 RPM. Give it a listen. Thank you.
1: A spinal scratch, I kingdom of my life back, a vital solution, and a confusion.